Got it. All right. Good evening, citizens of the world. This is another episode of Between the Joysticks podcast. Uh, we got a big show for you guys tonight. A lot of exciting things to go over. Uh, some things I think we'll, we'll really enjoy talking about. Uh, and some fun things that we added in, too, just because just we are a little bit lighter on overall topics, even though our topics we do have. So, LZ, I figured we would just start the show off properly and talk about the little bit of tidbits we got from the PS5 uh, over the last couple of days. Uh, an article from Bloomberg. Um, which didn't necessarily cover everything um, on, on the PS5. It did drop a, a few tidbits. Uh, the most eye-popping one to me, anyway, was that the price point is probably going to be around $499 to $549. Uh, I think that's about what we expected, um, anywhere from you know $500, $550, maybe $450, if they want to take a huge loss on it. Um, I think that's that's kind of what me and you have been talking about. That's kind of what we expected since we've kind of started talking about the next gen things. Um, another another little bit too is that it was only supposed to be six million units um, created from launch until March of 2021. So that's about six months, a little less actually. Uh, that they, they'll be sending those out. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, I know we've gotten, it seems like we've gotten a flood of PS5 information the last couple of weeks compared to what we've got, you know, on Xbox and uh, we've got a controller. We're starting to get some price point, uh, rumors of price points anyway, and we're starting to get information on how many units are going to be sent out. Six million is on the lower end, but I mean, six million is still six million. So what are your thoughts? I mean, it kind of, it kind of makes sense. Cause I mean, they're kind of mimicking what we saw with, the Wii U and and what Nintendo did because uh, they weren't sure how it was going to sell because it was a big difference from from the Wii's that they had been putting out and the other consoles and the launches that they did. So they did a limited release without taking as much of a hit. They kept that higher price point just to see how well it would sell, um, which did create a couple different runs of backlog for the Switch. So I'm, I'm looking at that release and kind of I'm gonna. I'm, I'm imagining we're gonna see a lot of mimicry from that or mirroring, just because, depending on what they roll out in, according to demand, whatever that demand is. Because we had like two or three runs, uh, and when I say runs, it was probably about a six to nine month period, a good chunk of the year, um, where people just couldn't get them. They just couldn't get them. Stuff was back ordered and backlogged. Even stuff that was pre ordered, people weren't able to get them yet because they they promised X amount of numbers and then they weren't able to produce that many um, just logistically. So yeah, they won't take as much of a hit, um, but not having a, a larger base, it's going to really kind of determine whether or not that actually proves plausible. Cause again, we have an idea of what the final specs are going to be. We still haven't seen the actual console. We've only seen the controller. We now have a, I guess a standard uh, price range of what to expect, lower end versus higher end, which is about a twenty-five dollar right. difference uh, between that four fifty and five fifty, or five hundred and five fifty, whatever the whatever the price was, four seventy-five. Right. Um, but I imagine we're going to see a lot of that. So uh, it's probably going to be hard to get your hands on one unless you have a pre-order that was already locked in for that that pre-generated first round uh, production. Yeah. Um, but again depending on how things turn out, whether they end up retooling things, um, 
it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out um, because the idea of taking a larger loss and having a, a larger availability could potentially really help them considering this is already based from what we've seen so far released publicly from Microsoft, what is going to be a stronger opening for Xbox and a weaker opening this generation for PlayStation to just see them see if they couldn't make up the money in terms of quantity rather than off the bat recuperation. So I, I don't know if, if we're going to see that kind of that kind of attrition battle or, or, or not further down the road. It looks like they're going to try to make as much money off, off that console as they can. Um, so we'll, we'll see if it comes back to bite them in the butt or not. Yeah, and I think we need to be clear. I think the reason they're doing a fewer amount of consoles at launch is, is not necessarily because they choose to. I think that's the way they're production is rolling out um they there was a statement that said the ps5 would not be delayed unless the xbox series x was delayed um that is something that i, I believe was in the bloomberg article as well uh so essentially it sounds like playstation is having a little more time or a little a little harder of time getting their production together during the crisis that's going on right now um, it sounds like Microsoft has everything together. They kind of know, you know, what they're doing. They've streamlined things a little bit. Uh, PlayStation may be using a couple different components that are a little harder to come by uh, due to what's going on. So that's that could be hurt what's hurting them. And, and, and honestly, we don't know exactly what it is. Uh, there could be a couple different things that that are holding Sony back. It may just be where they where they uh, manufacture things. It, it may be where they, you know end up packaging things and things like that, that they can only get so many through that area. Um, so I think that's something that, that we all need to, we all need to remember. Uh, PlayStation is not purposely putting a chokehold on the market. That is something that is happening more than likely because of the, you know, what is, what is currently going on in the early months of 2020. Uh, now that could change. Um, I don't think, I, I think you're going to see about 6 million to 7 million units and, and I think you're right. I think if you don't catch that first pre-order, whether it be on GameStop, Amazon, you know, wherever that is at, uh, you're more than likely not going to be picking one up. Now, we know that stores are going to get stocks in uh, that are not pre-orders, GameStop, Walmart, Best Buy, Target, uh, wherever else sells, you know, ends up selling the console. They're going to get extra stock in. Uh, it always happens. It happened just recently with the Animal Crossing Switch edition. Um that was something that had sold pre-orders sold out everywhere. A couple stores got a couple other ones. I think the Walmart that I live next to got 10 extra ones. I called a target because my brother was looking for it. They got four extra. So you're bound to find a couple out there in the wild. If you, if you, you know, hop in on, on launch day, but if you're looking to get one before Christmas, that's your last opportunity. I don't see too many stores because like we said, it's holiday 2020. We're assuming these things are going to come in late November, somewhere around there. I mean, it's probably not going to be Black Friday. It'll probably be a couple of weeks before that. So I'm thinking middle to late November. Um, you're not going to have a whole lot of opportunity for restocks, essentially. So if you're looking, if you're looking at one of these as either something you want for Christmas, something that you're wanting wanting to give for Christmas, you need to act quickly when you see these. Um, I know that I've basically said I'm going to get both consoles. LZ, I'll we'll, I'll ask you that same question in a minute, um, but. It, to me right now, seeing that these numbers are going to be kind of deflated, they're going to put a chokehold on everything, not because they want to, because that's how it's going to turn out. I believe I'm going to pre-order the second I can, I'll pre-order a PS5 just because I think 
that I, I want to get my hands on one as soon as possible. And I don't want to leave that up to chance. An Xbox, it sounds like I'm going to be able to get pretty freely whenever I, you know, whenever the, whenever it's possible. Um, so I, th- and, and, and it depends if PlayStation comes through and doesn't really announce any games I'm interested in, you know, I'll be okay waiting a couple months, but if they come out of the gates and, and swing with a sequel to horizon or Spider-Man, God of War, uh, you know, a new Ratchet and Clank game, something like that, then I'm more apt to pre-order it immediately, uh, even if it is at the 550 mark. Um, I don't think that's too bad. Like, like we said, we both thought 500 was probably the sweet spot, uh, considering the Xbox Series or the Xbox One X released when it was brand new at 500. It's now at 300. Excuse me. Uh, so that that seems about right. I'm not. I'm not too. You know. I'm not too worried about a 550 500 price point if it creeps up much higher than 550 maybe um so like i said lz i don't think we've talked about it do you so you plan are you planning on getting both consoles i know you own both now uh, but i believe you got a good deal on your ps4 similar to what i did um what are your what are your plans essentially for the upcoming console generation whether those plans stay the same or change uh i really don't have any because i'm still getting a lot of use out of my xbox one x and really gotcha. That's honestly what happened last time was I really didn't get an Xbox. I got the Xbox One X or the Xbox One uh, right when it pre-ordered and came out because I had a lot of I had a lot of free free money and and, and free time then. Uh, right. To be honest, um, but even then, I got the PS4 right about the end of its life cycle about two years ago, and basically only bought it because I already knew what games piqued my interest that the PS4 has done because they have a ton of exclusives, not all of which are technically in the wheelhouse that, of games that I enjoy playing. A lot of horror games and things like that aren't really my speed. Um, right. So a lot of the survival RPGs, you know, Spider-Man, Uncharted series, Last of Us, that sort of thing. Those are the ones that, that I picked up, Ratchet and Clank, different things like that, um, are really what I got them for. I didn't really get a whole lot of... Uh, I'm not really particularly interested in their wider library. So the Xbox One X, I'll definitely get, probably not within the first year or two, um, just because last time when I bought when I when I bought a, a brand new console, they came out with the Xbox One S and the Xbox One X two years later that were improved and at a reduced price for Microsoft's point. Now, granted, that's probably because they they oversold uh, the original Xbox One. And they finally got to put together the Xbox One X, which I believe is the console they actually wanted to release uh, when that came out. Um, but I was a little burned on that. And honestly, if I'm going to buy something, I want to wait until there's a few more options, upgrades, and, and, and things like that that are available to really make it worth uh, my money. Because my money doesn't really go that far anymore. Um, but I will probably also wait to get PS5 right around the end of its life cycle, whenever that is, or whenever I can finally catch it for under $300 just because that's what I did with the PS4. I couldn't really justify putting a lot of money into a console that I'm only going to play maybe eight games. But, I mean, the game, the games that I have played, I've, I've dumped a ton ton of time into, and they are really fantastic games. They are worthwhile to, to get to have and to get to play. Um, but I have no immediate plans to pick up the PS5. And it, it's probably just going to determine when when the price point seems like a, like a good enough deal. Xbox One X, it'll be most likely I will pick that up uh, when they stop making this current console's games, when it looks like they're starting to wind those down and it's only 
carrying over into Xbox One X. Uh, that's pretty much what what led to my purchase of uh, the 360 back in the day was because they had stopped producing regular Xbox games right around that console rollover. But again, I'm a little right. bit different. I'm not necessarily one who buys right into the hype, especially when current console is still being uh, maintained, uh, that, that library capability. So I'll probably buy my time a bit and, and wait and see what kind of deals shake out, especially with all the games that are being un- unlocked uh, with certain uh, bundles that they like to do every so often as certain newer, larger games are announced. Um, like we just saw with Xbox today, they're doing that that uh, Cyberpunk 2077. Uh, that looks console, awesome. Which looks amazing. Uh, that looks awesome. Again, that's one of those things that it's right at the end of Xbox One One X's life cycle. So get Series yeah, X that's, and- that's themed or customized or something like that that seems to be a little more worth its value that's going to come with a copy of that game or something like that, that would be something that, that might motivate me later on to, to, to might incentivize me to, to get it earlier. But it right. really depends and, on and the I think that's... And, and, and what's available. Yeah, and, and you make a good point. So the <laughs> Xbox One and the PS4, uh, it doesn't seem like their life cycle is ending. Um, they're coming to an end of their life cycle, as in the new console generation is coming. But it does not sound like games are going to be exclusively made for the Series X or the PS5, more so the Series X, uh, anytime soon. We, we don't have direct confirmation that PS5 games are going to be absolutely exclusive, but Microsoft has pretty much said that if you, like Halo Infinite uh, and um, the Hellblade game are going to be, you know, they're going to be playable on the Xbox One. So for someone like, so I, I know how you are, I know how you game. Um, Someone who is probably a little more frugal in their gaming than, than someone like me. Um, I generally, you know, bought the the newest console every time it's come out. Um, you've you have waited. I think the only one that you bought into immediately was the Xbox One. Um, we got that together. Um, so I mean, I, I understand that. But you are definitely, especially if you know. And I'm not trying to get off topic here. Especially if you know if you own a series X and you know, someone who owns a one and you can still play games and communicate, then it doesn't make a lot of sense for everybody to upgrade like that. Um, it makes sense for you to kind of sit back, wait for a good deal. And I'll be honest, that is something that is absolutely a detriment to owning the console day one. You miss out on limited edition consoles like the cyberpunk Xbox one X that is releasing. Um, there's been plenty of others that I, I can't think of any off the top of my head just because, I still own a base Xbox One model. I, mean, I own a regular PS4 model. They have the um, best version for PS4. Yes. They have the uh, God of War. I think there's a God of War console. God of War, War. They had Tomb Raider. They had Star Wars. There was both a R2D2 Rebel themed one, and there was a uh, Darth Vader all black one that was. Nah, that's right. Uh, um, Gears of War for Xbox as well. Uh, I believe there was Halo controllers. I don't think they actually did a console. So that is definitely something that you miss out, you know, by going day one and kind of jumping in. Um, I I think the biggest thing for me is my Xbox more so than my PlayStation. I I think the, the base Xbox one is, is, you know, it's being outrun by the games, putting it in. Um, When I played the remake of Call of Duty Modern Warfare this year, I had several times throughout the story mode 
where my game would freeze. And I think that was just because my, my Xbox One base model could not handle all the power it was taking in. Um, so I, I'm definitely going to upgrade that. Um, it'll more than likely just be for the Series X. That's kind of why I haven't bought an Xbox One X yet, just because I figured it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to upgrade now uh, that a new console generation is essentially getting a start. If they're going to play the same games, I can just buy that new console instead. You know, I might not save a little bit, but, you know, I'll, I can I can kind of get that out of the way and I'll worry about it later. Uh, let me ask you this. So if Microsoft continues to do their, um, you know, their purchase plan where you, you, you get a console with gold and Game Pass, you pay 20 bucks a month. Is that something that you'd look into if you could get a Series X that way? Yeah, especially since I'm more of more of a budget gamer now. Uh, yeah, that's definitely more. That's definitely easier. Twenty bucks a month as opposed to dropping down a giant giant chunk of change day one. Uh, right. Plus, you know, I'm already paying fifteen dollars a month as it is. So if you just chalk on an extra five dollars and we keep it until you know I've got the console paid off because I'm not going to trade the console off. I've, I've quit trading consoles in. I just had Same. you know them sitting upstairs. I would rather give them away to someone or sell them at, you know, a cheaper rate to someone who wants one than give them to like GameStop or Amazon or someone like that. It just makes, that makes more sense to me to give it to someone else for a, for probably what GameStop or Amazon is going to give it to me anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Then, then, you know, then try to trade it into something anyway. So I think that's just a better way of doing things. Um, I would assume that Microsoft is going to do something similar. They, they've done that with the Xbox one X so far. Um, but hopefully they come out and announce that, that they are going to do that for sure. Um, we will find out here, you know, in the next couple of weeks. Yes. Uh, do you have any, any other thoughts on this LZ before we kind of move on? No, but I think that is a really good thing is that especially with these being kind of the higher price points, especially from PS5, these are some of the higher price points of any console that we've seen release uh, in, in recent memory. Uh, with the exception of custom-made gaming PCs, which is essentially what, what these are moving closer towards with the hardware that they're really built out of, and especially with the, the Series X's design of just being a giant tower. Um, right. Yeah, I think, I think that's things, the... Like you right. said, if, if Xbox continues to do that incentivized, you know, kind of layaway, pay-as-you-go to, to rent-to-own, rent basically... <laughs> Uh, process that'll that'll definitely be much more incentivized for people to get a hold of it. Um, I don't know that they've actually put out or released any metrics that I've seen of uh, of how well that that purchase model is going for them. Um, but I, I think if those numbers were released, I think it would be very very telling to see how promising that is for the current Xbox One X and the One S, um, because that would that would probably let me know how successful that is and whether or not it's really worth the value or the time. But again, I haven't really seen a whole lot of uh, the people that I follow on social media or anything like that that have actually participated in things uh, of that nature. But now I'm really curious, and I'm probably going to look that up next week. Uh, just Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd actually love to know the numbers on that just because I am curious. Uh, it is It is something I'm looking into, obviously, these consoles are probably going to drop around the same time uh, within a week or two of each other. I'm not trying to drop a thousand dollars in that week alone. Um, so I, it, if I can get my Xbox that way, or if I can just wait till Christmas for it, um, that is definitely the preferred option in, in my mind. Um, I'll get one eventually. It just, just depends how we get there. Uh, let's move on to our next topic. Uh, Fallout 76 Wastelanders released uh, this, this Tuesday. 
Um, we've both played it. Uh, you have been having a blast. Why don't you, LZ, why don't you kind of uh, expand upon that? Tell us what you think um, and just, you know, the highlights that you've done. So I've had about five hours of, of gameplay into it so far, which isn't a whole lot, but that's a lot for me uh, for a week where I haven't really had a whole lot of time to, to play. Um, but again, five hours is a big dump uh, of time for a game that I haven't given much thought to um, for the past year. Uh, because I played the game for like maybe two, three months. Red Dead came out uh, and a whole bunch of other games that, that I really wanted to jump into. Um, that wasn't such a easy to jump back into kind of kind of style of play. And I wanted to get those done and taken care of. Um, but again, there wasn't really anything that was calling me back. They did public events and things like that. Uh, we had Nuclear Winter, which brought me back in for a little while because I wanted to see what what that uh, Battle Royale style, style gameplay would, would be like. And it was really fun. Um, but getting the best way I can describe it uh, after playing five hours, uh, because I was I was texting you kind of semi sporadically of just little things yeah. that popped up. Yeah. I mean, we all knew we were getting chat trees and things like that, but it actually makes your your skill values and things like it'll say, okay, charisma of whatever. It, it reminded me of classic Fallout. You got the you got the speech or Very much know, so. intelligence checks that that give you unique uh, bits of. Bit, bits of banter to, to play with and it may succeed, it may fail, you don't know. Um, there are NPCs uh, just all over the place. A lot of the various places that you typically sort of stay away from or never try to go back to have been completely revitalized. Places are not exactly the same as they were. There are new buildings and stuff where they didn't used to be. There are settlers moving around. It, it feels like Fallout again, which was my biggest complaint with Fallout 76 was that after a while, when it's only you and a bunch of holotapes to interact with and a handful of robots, it really feels right. like Fallout. It was Fallout-esque. It was a really cool multiplayer experience with a little bit of a Fallout skin to it, but it didn't feel like Fallout. But after five hours of running around, doing quests, speaking with people, interacting with different conversations, trading with actual people that weren't potentially dangerous to me like other players could be uh it it really brought that world to life again and the new main storyline is amazing um and it's not really a spoiler alert um necessarily because it the second you you open up the game after you download it one of the first quests is go speak to the overseer and i thought that was really cool as we actually get to meet the overseer that we haven't seen since ever I mean, we see a couple pictures and images of her while we're in the vault. We're doing setups and things like that. Um, but to meet a character that was supposed to have existed in base game in vanilla Fallout 76, getting to see that come back and the kind of the new way that they're doing things was really fun, really different. Um, but the only problem is you can't really access her storyline unless you've completed main vanilla storyline, core campaign right. storyline. So I got to go back and work on that. And that's kind of what I've been working on was trying to finish up the old story so I could start on the new story. Uh, but it is a lot of fun. I'm very excited about it. Um, and just a lots of, lots of neat little things, new, new weapons, new clothing, um, new food items. There's a pepperoni roll now. Uh, which, I did see that. That's great. Amazing. Uh, and I haven't seen, Anybody say that there's a recipe for it, but it is an actual item, a consumable. Uh, it does have a, a durability condition, so it can go stale, it can go bad and make you sick. 
um, but it is a, an event for uh, reward um, that some have gotcha. it through. Um, but again, like whether or not it's actually still true, I don't necessarily know how, how true it is anymore because, again, I haven't played or kept up with 76 for some time. Um, but when they, it first released, supposedly everything you could purchase in the Atom Store was available to find in-game through schematics or uh, through purchase of a vendor, or you could just find it generically through gameplay. Uh, but I'm hoping, very strongly hoping, that I can I can find it at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. When I, when you shared that uh, on Twitter the other day, I thought it was great. Um, I, I like that they have added things like that to kind of keep the spirit of, you know, West Virginia very much alive in this game. Um, myself, I only played, I've probably only played two, maybe three hours of it. Um, I'll be honest with you. I played it Tuesday, um, probably played it for an hour, maybe an hour and a half. Um met the overseer, went to the vault, um, and then made it to the next quest point. I'm not going to say anything else because I, I don't want to spoil things for people that are listening. Um, I'll be honest. I, I had mixed reception. Um, I think it's just because I haven't advanced the storyline that, that has started quick enough. Um, like you said, in order to do some things, you have to finish the, the base game. Uh, I have not done that. Um, I, I got access to a couple quests immediately. I haven't really, I've gotten into one of them. Um, have not really gotten into the other two or three. Um, my problem is, I, so I don't like fast traveling in the game generally. I generally will walk or move from point A to point B. I like to see what's going on. My biggest gripe is nothing has, it doesn't seem like anything has changed in the world. Now, maybe that's just where I'm at. Maybe I've just gotten unlucky. I haven't really run into anything. Um, it's just a little frustrating because uh, my hopes weren't my hopes were not too high generally uh, when all of this started. And then I saw more and more people start saying that it was very good. Um, you know, it'll make you want to get back into Fallout seventy six, all that good stuff. And then I kind of did that, and it kind of fell off a cliff a little bit for me. Um, so, uh, like I said, I haven't played a whole lot. I haven't progressed my story a whole lot. I think I need to go in and do that and just kind of, I need to put an afternoon in, just stick with it, suffer through the bad parts and get to those really good parts. Um, from what everyone is saying, you, you mainly have been the, the, one of the biggest talkers in my ear about it, which, which is a good thing. The game is, is returning to what Fallout was. Uh, that's a very good thing because what Fallout 76 was to begin with was, was not good. Um, a great thing is I haven't had any issues with internet, lag, latency, crashing, anything like that. Um, everything does seem to be, you know, on the up and up when it comes to stability, essentially. Um, even Tuesday, I had some slowing down points for loading times and some uh, to load up the main screen. Once I was in, though, I didn't have any problems, which is good because Tuesday was probably the heaviest amount of traffic they've had in a long time. And I'm glad that their servers could handle it. Um, but I'm excited for it still. I'm hoping to jump into it a little bit more this weekend. Um, with the way my, my job is working right now, I have to work one more week. Then I get two weeks off. So I'm hoping I'll be able to really jump into it during those two weeks off. Uh, I can you know really dig deep, figure out what's going on, and uh, hopefully explore more and find some more things. And uh, 
hopefully it's not just the exploration that that pulls me in. Hopefully it's the the gameplay and the storyline uh, much different than you know regular vanilla Fallout seventy six essentially. Um, any other thoughts, LZ? I know that like I said, you were a you were a big a big backer of this when it came out. I've heard nothing but praise from you. Um, you know, anything else you want to kind of, you want to put in there just for the audience? We've got a DJ on Appalachia radio again. So it's not three dog, but you know, it is some sort of lively personality. So it's not the, uh, the more sober, somber new Mr. New Vegas, which was kind of more dry Dan rathery kind of character. Uh, she's not necessarily a, uh, it is a, she, Uh, she's not necessarily a, uh, a three dog, uh, personality. Uh, she's kind of like a good mix of, of Three Dog and, and Travis from New Vegas. There's some there's some wobbly personality issues, but they're kind of quirky and interesting. Uh, it kind of keeps the game alive, brings a little bit of liveliness to it. I've encountered a lot of different raiders. They've introduced new monsters. Um, they've revitalized certain areas like uh, Pleasant Point Pleasant's uh, snowshoe resort and things like that. Um, there are all kinds of raider factions. There's probably at least two or three different factions. Um, that are out there that you can interact with, um, and I'm not—I haven't really gotten into into too much of that. Um, but getting to run around and encounter raiders and other people, NPCs, has just been a lot of fun. Makes it feel a lot more interesting uh, to me. But I, again, I haven't gone fully everywhere uh, on the map. But there are various places that are evident from just the generic loading screen that pops up that there are places that have been built over that were mostly barren. There are certain places they released a map uh, last Friday that um, basically said, hey, you have four days until Tuesday to get your camps moved because these are no build places because these are where new faction areas are being built. Right, I did see that. There's a lot of neat things that it feels a lot more like classic Fallout to me now. Uh, The more we play it, the more we'll see how how that plays out. But the newer storylines definitely feel more like classic Fallout. Uh, the older storylines, again, are things that I'm going to have to push myself through to get there. I don't know if any of those... It'll be interesting to see, because I haven't really progressed very far in the main campaign. So seeing if things are more engaging moving forward with that, with this update, will be interesting for me to explore. Um, just to see if any of those have been tweaked uh, with lessons learned, or if it's still exactly the same as it was uh, a year ago. Um but I'm, I'm excited to see what it has in store. Agreed. Yeah, I think I think both of us can say that right now. Um, we're having a blast with it. or Well, you're having a blast with it. I'm hoping I will, too, as soon as I can get into everything. Um, but hopefully uh, the the story of Fallout 76 is just beginning and it's going to continue to move upwards. Um, let's move on to our next little bit of news, little bit of gaming news. Um, Crisis is going to be remastered for PC, Xbox One, PS4, and Nintendo Switch. Uh, now, I am not familiar a lot with the Crisis series. I know there are a couple people who are. It was a trilogy. And I do believe that Crisis 1 and 2 were PC exclusives. Crisis 3, I believe, came out on the 360 and PS3. It may have been the Xbox One and the PS4. Like I said, I'm not super familiar. I with believe it title. did come out on 360 um, originally. 360, okay. Now. 
Gotcha. Okay, so it was on the 360. Um, so have you played these games? Uh, do you know anything about them? I know that they are beloved and, and people are excited for this. I may jump into it uh, if I can get it for a good price down the road or something, or if it's you know it comes to a point where I'm not playing a whole lot at the at the moment and I can kind of jump. I, into I've it. seen gameplay. I've played a, a little bit of game demos uh, when when they were free to play. I believe Crisis Two, I think, was one of the Xbox games with gold on the 360 forever ago. Uh, so it's quite possible that I ha- I have it somewhere. I just haven't played it. Um, but when it, again, it's it's like the conversation we had last week where we talked about the Half Life series. Crisis is one of those very deeply beloved like cult favorites. Um, that yes. you know, it, it's one of those things that I will probably be very interested in in grabbing it um, because Crisis Three was was such a big thing that getting to see that franchise brought forward onto the next gen consoles. Um, might be something really worth jumping and investing my time and money into. Um, because, again, anytime that a fan base is, is so excited that, or that a game is that good that the entire internet explodes because it's been announced as a remaster, then I think that that's definitely something that's worth looking into. Because, again, when those games originally came out, when it originally dropped on the 360, I was still in late middle school, early high school years, and my gaming tape wasn't necessarily right. the greatest. So getting to jump back in and be like, okay, so this is what passed for a great game in 2008, 2009, 2006, 2007, and getting to see what new technology from 2019, 2020 can do with it, that can only make it better, right? <laughs> yeah, so I think, uh, I, like I said, I'm... I'm not overly excited, but I, I am curious. Uh, it is definitely something if I hear good things about, uh, and I'm not doing a whole lot at the moment, I will definitely want to jump into. Um, like I said, uh, it's something that I believe was a, P- uh, a PC exclusive when it first released, so we've never had the original Crisis on a console before. Um, so I am, you know, I'm pretty excited in order to experience this. Hopefully uh, they do it justice. I think they will. And uh, we'll get a good product out of it, and hopefully it'll, it'll introduce a lot of people to a to a universe that they've never really experienced before. That that's my hope. Anytime we get something like this, um, it's always very cool to kind of get new people to experience a, a new um, a new IP. Essentially, uh, I want as many people kind of doing this, uh, getting into certain things as we can, because you get more people playing stuff, you're going to get you know interested in sequels, things like that, and it. You know, you never know. It may end up revitalizing a a series that you once thought was dead that, you know, can come back to life just because of uh, what's going on. So it's always cool to see stuff like this. Um, Crisis has never really got a remake before. Uh, there, it, it's one of the few uh, or, you know, few older titles that people beloved uh, that hasn't got one of those yet. So I am really glad to see that it is getting a remake uh, and hopefully it's very good and, and we both get the opportunity to jump into it. Um we're going to go with our last little bit of gaming news here. Uh, this is just very small, but the ESRB has added a new title to games. Um, essentially what that title is, is it essentially goes right below the, the rating. And it essentially says that this game contains uh, random purchases, drops, yeah, things like that. It's, uh, it's, just, a, it's just a good way of saying that it's yeah, loot boxes. It's, it's boxes yeah, pretty much. Just general microtransactions. So anybody who thinks that, Yep. You know, you know, there's any kind of parents out there that are like, man, I don't want my kids to be out there purchasing all this random stuff. Or if you're super strict in your interpretation of, of what these 
microtransactions in any of their various forms actually do to your children, all of the Supreme Court cases that are alleging that, you know, it's it's tantamount to child gambling and incentivizing gambling, which I think is a bit of a stretch personally. But, uh, you know, if, if you're silly enough to put your credit card on on your child's console without any kind of uh, payment confirmation locks or codes, uh, that's that's kind of on you. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, essentially what this is, is it's a warning. To, it's a warning to parents essentially saying, hey, this contains random transactions you know, don't put your credit card on, on, on your child's console when they're playing this game, essentially. Um, if you put your, if you have your credit card locked onto your console anyway, and you've got children, it's probably not the smartest move. I'll agree with you there. Um, I barely keep, I barely keep anything locked on my console. Anyway, I keep one card. Uh, it's a credit card on my console. That way, if I want to purchase something, I can make the purchase, pay the credit card off. And that way, if something gets hacked or something like that, you know, I'm not out of my bank account, essentially. I'm out of my credit card. That's not a big deal. I can get that fixed. Um, I'm not trying to lose, you know, I'm trying to lose 500 bucks, not $10,000 if something like that happens. So, um, yeah, I think it's just a, it's a step in the right direction, essentially. Uh, we're not really going to get into loot boxes or microtransactions today just because uh, it's, not a, it's not a conversation I am prepared to have. Um, but I, I think we're pretty close to what we, what we think about them. Uh, but it is nice to see the ESRB kind of take a firm step in the right direction uh, in order to kind of, to kind of get this, to get this shut down. Um, let's move to something fun that I, I kind of had planned um, uh, with video games, just because we are a little lighter on news. We're, we're still going to talk about some Marvel stuff, some movie stuff after we talk about this. But LZ, let's talk about our our own five favorite games you've ever played. Um, I texted you this earlier in the week. Um, I said, you know, come up with five, you know, five of your favorite ever, and then do a couple honorable mentions. Uh, you texted me earlier today and basically said that your honorable mention list was through the roof. So I said, let's limit to three honorable yeah, mentions. So LZ, go ahead and give me your list. So that made it harder because I originally, when I, when I sent you that text, I had probably close to 10 honorable mentions and that was scattered through. Jeez. Uh, you're not alone. Don't worry. It's not just like, okay, here's 10 games from like the last 10 years. Like since I started console gaming, it was going all the way back to like when I was like four and five years old, when I picked up, you know, Sunset Riders or Super Mario Brothers 3 for the N64, the Super Nintendo, you know, old, old stuff like that. That was like what really got me into the game. But then when I really started thinking about it, after you said, okay, well, let's limit it to three. I really had to like narrow down my, my criteria. for. Uh, so I'll go ahead and give you my, my, my three honorable mentions, um, which basically when it came down to what I considered top five all time games for me was, did it impact the way that I game? considerably shaping the taste of my gameplay did it affect me enough to where i was fully invested into that franchise and i started buying merchandise and digging into the lore on wiki pages and reddit forums and you know did it, did it really culturally impact the way that i i treat that game franchise and and things like that what are the things that really consumed my life because i played these things um, so the honorable mentions that I, that I got were either, um, Elder Scrolls Oblivion slash Skyrim because they were both so, so great and amazing, but I feel like Oblivion had a lot more of that classic, um, RPG kind of feel to it. 
And I feel like it's a lot more Agreed. replayability just from the way that the storyline laid itself out. Um, and, and there'll be people that disagree with that one way or the other, but I just felt like Oblivion was one of those more classically replayable adventures where I was always finding something new, whereas Skyrim, I could pretty easily find everything, even though it was massive. Uh, so I would say Oblivion probably edged it out uh, there. Number two for the honorable mention is probably Fable 2. Uh, it was just a really fun, beautiful game that improved a lot on uh, Fable's original storyline and, and, and complex of uh, story building and, and decision making and how that impacts how your story plays out. I thought that was a really cool that I ever encountered with that. It was just a fun kind of wacky. Yeah, Fable 2 is a great game. Kind of wacky, almost Borderlands quality humor to it. Uh, that that it kind of played in that Pixar realm of okay, it's slightly adult, but also brings out that inner child for you, and it's kind of just fun for everybody. There's a little bit of everything in that game for somebody. Uh, and then the third one I picked because it was one of the stranger things I saw sitting on my my game collection shelves, um, which is the 007 James Bond game, Everything or Nothing, um, which was a fantastic third person. Uh, shooter and when you went to zoom in on sites and things like that you could have first person but for the most part everything was a third person only game and it was one of those unique James Bond stories that was never told in film or books it was solely a video game storyline and it had Willem Dafoe voice acting the bad guy Pierce Brosnan voice did the voice acting for his character they had classic villains like Jaws and others that showed up in it. It was, it was fantastic. I, I I dumped so many hours into that within the challenges and things like that. And PS, a phenomenal game. Storyline was amazing. Uh, I hit for for my top five. But before I get to those, I want to know what your honorable mentions are that didn't quite make your list. Yeah, no problem. So uh, to start off my honorable mentions, um, uh, Zelda. Legend of Zelda: The Ocarina of Time is on there. Um, I really, I wanted to put this in my top ten. Uh, unfortunately, uh, there's just the, the last couple on my list kind of bumped it out. It is my favorite Zelda game still. Um, it, it's what I grew up playing essentially. Uh, Ocarina of Time was the first N64 game I got for Christmas. Um, I got it used. I wiped the save files completely, and I actually didn't. I actually didn't beat that game until I was probably in high school. But that's just because I didn't know how to play it when I was younger. Um, I legitimately only ran around um, uh, Kokiri Forest for like 10 years of my life. Um, so like literally just started in the starting area. And as I kind of grew to play games, uh, it, was, it was a great game. Um, uh, my second, my second uh, honorable mention, Kingdom Hearts 2. Great game. Uh, if you had told me, essentially, even though it didn't turn out as well, Kingdom Hearts 3, if you had told me it was going to be a PS4 exclusive, I would have went out and bought a PS4 exclusively for that game. Uh, that's how much I love the second one. Obviously, the, fir- the third one didn't turn out quite as well, uh, but the second one absolutely holds a, a place near and dear in my heart. Uh, my third honorable mention is uh, Super Mario RPG, an old Super Nintendo game. Uh, it's turn- turn-based, adds a couple Stranger characters in there. 
Um, you can play as Mario and Bowser and Peach, along with some uh, new new characters. Essentially, it's very Final Fantasy esque. Uh, it is a great game. It's something that absolutely needs a remake or um, you know a sequel edition. Essentially, one of the one of the most different games I've ever played, and it's something that I absolutely love. Yeah, those are all pretty good choices. <clears throat> Yeah, and kind of like you, I, I kind of went for games that either, you know, influenced me uh, in, the, in the sense of Orcarina of Time and Super Mario RPG. Uh, even even Kingdom Hearts 2 where it was, you know, earlier. It, it had been almost, what, I think 10 or so years, maybe more than that, since uh, we had Kingdom Hearts 2 release. Uh, when Kingdom Hearts 3 released, it was, I want to say it was like 10 or so years. So... Uh, those are definitely games that I, I played growing up. Uh, definitely Ocarina of Time and Super Mario RPG more so than Kingdom Hearts 3. But uh, those are, you know, games that really stuck with me. Uh, I'll be honest with you, though. Super Mario RPG is the only turn-based combat game on my list. So that's something that didn't necessarily influence my gameplay. Uh, but I love the story involved with that. And that's something huge for me. If it's got a good story, I'm probably ranking it pretty high up there. Yeah, same. I mean, that's why we ended up going with the 007 everything or nothing, because when I was looking at my, my gaming shelf, I have a lot of video games that are based on movies. And like I said, this, this particular 007 story doesn't exist anywhere outside of video games. And when you go through and you play that story and the graphics and th- things that unfolded there, it unfolded organically like a film. Like there were definite like movie style action. Like they definitely set that game up and choreographed it and directed it so that it flowed like a film. And to have something like that play out, I think that that might actually be the only video game that might successfully transfer over to Hollywood in movie form. Unlike all the ones we've seen that have been attempted and just barely fallen under that bar. I think that could very easily be one of them that succeeds. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm, so I've never played that one. Um, I've played, so a lot of my James Bond experience uh, came from like the three, or not the 360, I apologize, the N64 and the GameCube. Um, after that, I unfortunately never really got back into the, into the, um, the franchise, uh, which, it, you know, is a shame because I know how good it is uh, and I know how much fun it is. It's just one of those things that has kind of passed me by all these years. Yeah, and like I said, it, it's different. It's not a first-person kind of thing. It's definitely a third-person, like, stealth-based, almost Splinter Cell-esque gameplay. So it, it had those options where you could play loud, you could play quiet. Um, and, and I thought that was a really unique and interesting thing, that it kind of involved a bit of both. Uh, but for the most part, it was up to you as to how loud or quiet you went in with it. But it, it was a right. really cool, interesting thing. Um, so I think with us wrapping up honorable mentions, we'll just go ahead and, and call it quits for there. And then when we come back, we'll talk top fives. All right, we're back. All right, Uzzy. Let's hear it. What's your top five? All right, so top five that I went with, uh, again, I already gave you this. Um, I, I think the theme here, I kind of, I, I told you earlier, I call it the Revenge of the Sequels, which again goes back to my gameplay when I got really big into gaming was right around that 360 PS3 uh, uh, life cycle. That's when I really got real heavy into buying my own games and choosing what I wanted to play uh, for the most part, which was picking up a lot of what was popular at the time, um, but also included me jumping right into the middle of these stories 
and going back and re-exploring where they came from and getting into the larger franchises themselves. So this is the Revenge of the Sequels top five list. Um, so it started out with uh, Halo 2, uh, followed by Assassin's Creed 2, Red Dead 2, Modern Warfare 2, Borderlands 2, and Fallout 3. Yeah, a lot of twos in there. Not, not going to lie. Um, but I mean, but I'll, I'll be honest. A lot of these are where stories got stories got greatly improved gameplay was greatly improved. a lot of the gameplay and storyline innovations that we saw with these particular sequels came to define a lot of the genres that we saw around them so because halo is pretty much what put the first person shooter on the map in terms of multiplayer and things like that and halo 2 is a story that we're not really i don't think going to see again in terms of depth and meaning in in, in in a Halo universe. Assassin's Creed 2, same way. That was one of the most moving storylines that we saw from them, and it was a massive innovation for their gameplay engine because when you go back and you try to play the original Assassin's Creed... Oh, it's, it's so different. Repetitive. It's so different. It's, it's, so, it's super hard to play through. Assassin's Creed 2 is a lot more streamlined. It's easier to play. There's a lot more replayability because it is a little more RPGs. It is not nearly um, as repetitive. Not necessarily in the way that the rest of them are, but it, it's a little more open. Yes. Uh, and that's honestly the first game that I ever actually went and did a hundred percent completionist, going through and finding all the trophies, all the hidden items, and things like that. Um, which I haven't successfully done in a lot of other games, but that is the only game where. I felt like all those little extra Easter eggs and collectibles and little things like that really built out the lore of that game universe and made it really worthwhile to engage in that stuff because it didn't take away from the story. It really added to it. Whereas a lot of other games, it is away from that story. But when you spend all that time going around and doing those things, it kind of breaks that narrative. Yeah. Uh, and with Assassin's Creed 2 and the things like the glyphs and the feathers and things like that, it made sense for the story that was there to complete and go through them. And it still had meaning and it didn't really take away from anything. Yeah. That, that glyph, the glyph storyline is one of my favorite um, pieces of side content that has a legitimate story in it. And I think it's amazing. It, it is, it, it is an absolutely, uh, that game is just packed to the brim with, with extra content. And I, I love it. Yeah, and Modern Warfare 2, pretty much the same thing. Uh, Call of Duty is what we consider the standard for, for first-person shooters online. Um, and that re- it was also the only game that I think has really... I mean, we, we, we've seen the remaster with Modern Warfare, and everybody knows how good that was. But Modern Warfare 2 is really what put that, that franchise uh, on the map uh, as a major success because it said, okay, yeah, we can do all these great things online, but we can also do stories super, yeah. super well. We didn't just do it great one time. Watch this. We're going to come back and do it again and better. And yeah, better. I mean, you look at you look at the original Modern Warfare, and, and that's the game. Uh, not so much story wise, but uh, they released that, and, and essentially everyone was like, "Okay, why aren't we doing more of this?" Uh, it definitely went from I think the first three Call of Duties were all World War II based uh, or Vietnam or Korean, um, and as soon as Modern Warfare came out, you definitely saw a shift into. Um, you know, more automatic gunplay, uh, new world, um, you know, more advanced things, things like that. So it is definitely, and, and you're right, Modern Warfare 2 is the story that kind of shifted everything 
to kind of go that way. Uh, we actually didn't get another, we didn't get another world war game. Uh, we got world at war directly after that. Um, but after that, the next closest one was the 2018 call of duty world at war. Yeah. And then we had red dead two, which I was going to put red dead one up there. And then when I started thinking about, it, I was like, man, red dead two is so much better. And it is, it is a prequel, which is actually a sequel right to, to that game. Um, which is also technically a sequel to Red Dead Revolver, very, very loosely. It takes place in the same right. universe. Um, but again, wholly different different characters. Um, but again, it, the story world is so massive and engaging, and you spend so much time rolling through it. The, the story is, is absolutely phenomenal. Um, the online aspects are a lot of fun. Uh, again, they don't really break or take away from it, but it is one of the more moving stories that, that I've played through. And I, I just, I, I can't say enough good things about, about that game in particular, uh, because I think Rockstar really hit its stride in, in storytelling with this game in particular from all the things that they've done, whether it's the bully franchise or Grand Theft Auto or Red Dead or anything else they've done. Red Dead 2 is quintessential video game storytelling for me. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Um, because the characters are for the most part likable, engageable, and even though they're all bad guys, you're rooting for them right until the very end, and it really breaks your heart. Yes, when you get to the end of that storyline and everything starts falling apart, because that's really what that entire game is—just watching everything that you know and love crumble around you, and you're trying your best to just keep it all together. Yeah, yeah, no, and you do it with an old Red Dead. It's just Red Dead is one of those games that is just. Um... When we when we when it was announced uh, back in 2017, I believe, uh, we all kind of knew we knew what the original Red Dead was. We just assumed that Rockstar would kind of take it further and beyond with the second with the sequel. They did that. Uh, it's an amazing game. Something I haven't finished. Uh, I know what happens, uh, but it is it is an absolutely gem of a title. Um, your list overall is just. I mean, you could probably pull a couple people off the street. Um, and, and they would have similar titles. I know that uh, we actually share a couple titles on, on our lists. So, um, you, you know, I, I kind of figured I knew where some of yours would be. Um, I'm sure a lot of other people, you know, are very similar as well. There's probably a couple changes in there. Um, you know, we've both got our, our quirks and our honorable mentions. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's an amazing list. Um, you know, I, I kind of, I kind of, ex- what I, I knew what I expected from you a little bit. So, um, that's, uh, you know, absolutely amazing. All right. So let's hear yours. Let's go. Uh, so we'll open it up with, uh, Assassin's Creed two. Uh, like you said, uh, it's just such an improvement on the second one. It, it's, uh, it's what definitely got me into the Assassin's Creed series. Um, the first one was kind of meh playing that second one though. Uh, if there was a game that, you told me that I can play all over again with no knowledge. I would pick that probably every time. Uh, I'm not saying it's number one. Uh, the, this isn't in any specific order, but man, I would absolutely love to, you know, just relive that storyline again. Those glyphs, um, you know, collecting all the items, uh, starting Ezio's journey all over again one more time. Uh, I think that would be one of the coolest things that I've ever done. Um, Fallout 3 is also on there. Uh, that is the game that I that I attribute to the way I game now. Um, uh, it was such a game changer for me 
the things you can do in that game, uh, the way it runs, um, the RPG elements in there um, are absolutely, it is absolutely one of my favorite games of all time. Um, it, in my opinion, now, I think, I believe you're the same way. I put Fallout 3 above New Vegas, uh, and I think that's just because I played it first, I experienced it first. Excuse me. Um, it, it is just, uh, I know that New Vegas does some things better, but Fallout 3 storyline, in my opinion, it's open-ending if you have the Broken Steel DLC, uh, is what wins it over for me, and it is just, uh, it's masterful what Bethesda did with that game, and I hope they get to that level again uh, very soon. Uh, this is where uh, we're going to differ a little bit. Um, uh, Borderlands 2 is on here. Um, that is a game that I love the writing. I love the enemy, you know, the enemy type. Um, I, you know, Handsome Jack is going to go down in, in video game history. is probably one of the best villains ever, if not the best. Um, it's great that it's couch co-op. It's, it's online co-op. Uh, it's a game you can play with your friends. Actually, that's the way I recommend playing it. Um, I've started to get into Borderlands 3 a little bit. Unfortunately, it doesn't quite grab me as much as Borderlands 2 did. But uh, Borderlands 2, absolutely. Special place in my heart. It is definitely going to be one of those games that, um, you know, I go back and replay. Uh, you know, you have those games that you kind of go back and you replay once every couple of years. Um, the other one that I've got is um, Horizon Zero Dawn, something I just recently played. Um, absolutely love the way that game uh, handles. I love its uh, story. I love the way it plays, gameplay, everything like that. It is an amazing game. Uh, I cannot wait until we get a sequel. Hopefully we do on uh, launch with PS5. Uh, that will definitely solidify uh, my want for it. Um, and it may just sway me in which console I'm going to pick up on launch day and which one I'm going to wait for, essentially. Uh, my final game is definitely my favorite game of all time. Uh, it's Knights of the Old Republic, uh, the first one. Um, by far, uh, it, it's my favorite universe, Star Wars. Um, I absolutely, absolutely love uh, how things go. Um the storyline it puts in, it's got a great twist, which is what Star Wars is kind of known for up until that point. It came out in 2003, so, uh, you know, we're you're still on that, you know, 30-year high of Darth Vader, essentially. Um, and they come out with the Revan storyline, e easily one of the one of the best things that, that came out, uh, Star Wars, you know, with a Star Wars license. Uh, came out in that Star Wars Golden Age. Uh, one, absolutely my favorite game of all time. Um, that's the only one I'm going to really rank the other four slot in there, probably about the same truthfully. Um, but I, I love KOTOR's role-playing elements. It's RPG elements. Um, they are superb. And, and I pray, you know, over the next, you know, couple years that there's some sense in the industry and, and we get a remake essentially. Um, uh, but that is, that's my top five. Um, I figured we'd have a lot of fun doing this, especially like I said, uh, gaming. When I when I originally, you know, uh, said this to you, my the plan was, you know, we're a little light on content. Uh, obviously, the PS5 drop kind of changed all of that. Um, still not a ton of content. It was very meaty though. What we had, uh, gaming wise. Um, but yeah, LZ, what do you what do you think about that list? So yeah, that's a that's a good that's a good list. Like I said, you know, 
So he was definitely up there having that co-op co-op gameplay is definitely one of those more fun things to do. It has that comic book kind of aesthetic and feel to that gameplay world. It feels a little more fanciful, a little more science fiction-y. Uh, it feels like you're playing through a science fiction story, which is essentially what you are doing. Um, and, and just to have that that kind of witty banter and crazy amount of pop culture references in both characters and, and challenge ra- and names and, and quest lines and things like that. It's just a super fun and irreverent, zany game that exists out there that just kind of encompasses all of gaming and pop culture. There's yeah. a little bit of something in that game for, for everybody. Uh, just a, a load of fun. I knew you couldn't pass up KOTOR. I just knew you couldn't. I was tempted I was tempted to ask you to refine yours uh, <laughs> with top five without KOTOR because you, you've mentioned it so many times that that's your top game of all time. I'm curious. Yeah. Okay, so let me, let me ask you this then. If you couldn't put KOTOR on that list, what's your, what's your fifth top five game Ooh. um so if kotor is out i probably slot ocarina of time into that fifth slot mm-hmm. more than likely um that's tough though because i mean ocarina of time is great kingdom hearts 2 is great super mario rpg is great um yeah I, out of those three ocarina of time definitely slots into into the top five and probably, and I'll be honest, Oblivion s- slots into um, my honorable mention list. Um, it, it was, it was, you know, after I played Fallout Three and I jumped into Oblivion, that was one of the games that you know really got me going with that. You know, it was my second RPG game after Fallout Three, essentially, um, and that's kind of what propelled me even more into you know playing those t- those kind of games. But yeah, other than that, just. Pretty, pretty pretty strong list, pretty good stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, with that out of the way, let's move on to a little bit of Marvel news. Um, the thing that I picked up from this week, I know you've got a couple other things. Uh, Sam Raimi confirmed that he is directing Doctor Strange 2. Uh, so that is confirmed. He is going to be the director. I think it's kind of what we all expected. Um, it was never confirmed by Marvel or him until just now. Uh, I had just assumed that that was how that was going to go down. Yeah, I mean, he's the only person that was really brought up in the rumor mill to to have any kind of shot at, at talking about this. I don't even remember anybody else that was really brought up in in a. I can't remember anybody direct. Um, but again, we've had pretty. There's been a pretty steady source line of of rumor mills from Marvel that by the time it hits public knowledge like that, it is pretty much just it's it's pretty much locked in. the The question is is more of them ironing out the contract and what their creative responsibilities are between one another. Uh, and, and that's ultimately what, what leads to things falling apart like that, like what we saw with, with uh, Peyton Reed and, and Ant-Man and things like that, um, with those kind of creative differences that show up later on down the road. Um, so I think they are vetting, um, vetting their directors a little bit more to make sure that they're kind of in line with what their vision is going into projects now as opposed to signing them on and then hoping that they can get those those plans together later uh, which again is a live, live and you learn kind of go uh thing that we go there but to get to see sam raimi come back into in, into marvel films is going to be a lot of fun he's done a lot of the darker more horror related things like sean versus evil dead versus evil dead and all that all that sort of stuff um with with bruce campbell and you know night of the living dead and all that all that sorts of stuff um so there's a lot of good stuff that comes there. He obviously has Spider-Man chops from, from 90s, uh, early 2000s that we got to see with that. 
Um, so getting to see him kind of come back to Marvel uh, and, and see what this new universe could, could bring for him with, with new technology and legitimate CGI that, that works as, as well as you want it to uh, without the, the limitations of physical stunt, stunt theatrics that, that we had to rely on in the 90s more so. Uh, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what what he kind of brings to that and with a more cooperative studio than the micromanaging Warner Brothers was, I think we'll, it'll be interesting to see what kind of story he actually gets to tell uh, with Doctor Strange too. Agreed. Yeah, I'm really excited for him to get his hands on um, and really enter, you know, enter the MCU in a in a proper way. Um, I, I hope we get some nods to his Spider-Man franchise, um, whether that be through his Doctor Strange two film. Or uh, through the upcoming, you know, Sony uh, shared universe, essentially, with Venom, Morbius, the Spider-Man films. Uh, so I think it will be very cool to actually have him involved in, in an MCU project. Well, we know what he is capable of. Some still consider Spider-Man 2 the greatest superhero movie of all time. Um, I don't think I would quite go that far, but it, it is absolutely uh, it's, it's absolutely exciting to have him involved with anything. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so another thing, I know you sent me a couple of things. I'm going to take the head on this one and then I'm going to let you kind of take over with the other ones. Uh, there is a Mandalorian, uh, documentary series for Disney plus. Um, it is going to be eight episodes. We're not sure how long it is. Um, and it's essentially going to go over the planning and, um, uh, uh, production of the Mandalorian series that is going to release on May 4th, star Wars day. So that's very appropriate. Um, more than likely, I don't think it'll be the only thing that Star Wars and Disney does. Uh, I'm not saying uh, um, uh, release-wise. Um, I don't know that – I don't necessarily think we'll get another show or anything like that. But I do think we'll get some extra uh, hints about some things and, and things like that going on. So uh, that is very exciting. I'm super excited for that. I can't wait to see Dave Filoni and John Favreau, uh, Bob Iger, uh, and them talk about The Mandalorian and, and, and what inspired them and, and how that came to life essentially. Yeah, I, I saw that and I thought it was kind of interesting. I mean, Mandalorian is kind of the new the new big thing that everybody's latching on to. Uh, yeah. Culturally, as far as Star Wars is concerned, it, it's definitely getting a lot better reception than the new the new trilogy. Um so getting getting to see kind of the behind the scenes of, of that and uh what it's like to really capture the essence of making Star Wars uh enjoyable for for a greater audience of people especially making it for television and live action because the only success we've really seen with that has been animation to this point um is is, it's gonna be a really interesting look into that and i think a lot of people are going to be a lot of people always get excited to see how how stuff is done because a lot of people are i think are going to have a lot of the juice of that is going to be how close is it to how they originally made star wars and basically like, okay, so this is this great thing that captured that, that original Star Wars feeling. Um, were they able to do it using the same methods? Now, whether or not that's actually what it explores or whether it's just a more fun kind of, okay, here's how everything rolled out. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see what, what that kind of little documentary, quote unquote, series, miniseries will be. Um, I probably won't watch it because I like I like the show, I like the series. Uh, I'm not super big on on knowing all the all the behind the scenes stuff. I'll just write the storyline. But I, I'm I'm sure you have a much more vested interest in it. What are you hoping to see from the documentary series? What are you? With, uh, with it? Uh, you know, I mean, uh, I've looked at a couple of things from production already. Um, I, I am 
I am really excited to kind of see their inner workings of what was going on. I mean, obviously you had a lot of big names on set at some times. Uh, Dave Filoni was there. You had Taika Waititi there. Uh, John Favreau is obviously there. Um, Deborah Chow is there. Um, you, you get, um, you know, you got a lot of great actors. You got Giancarlo Esposito is there. Uh, Gianna, or, uh, Gina Carano is there. Pedro Pascal is there. Um, you know, just uh, uh, Carl Weathers. There's a lot of um, a lot of power essentially sitting on that set at times, and I, I kind of am hoping that they all interacted with each other and uh, what they did to essentially, you know, you know, pass the time between things. Um, what they spoke about, if anyone offered any different ideas of how things would work to John or or Dave or whoever was directing at that point, um, just to, and just to see if anybody rolled with anything. So, I mean, I'm really just excited to see how everything was put together because you're right, it is it is honestly probably the best Star Wars property uh, that we've gotten, you know, in the Disney era. I, I don't know if I would put it at the top, um, but, but it's, it's certainly trending up that way, especially if season two is, is as strong as season one. Um, but let's go ahead and move on. Uh, I know you've got a couple other topics. Uh, what do you want to start with? Uh, well, I'll go ahead and start with, uh, I mean, it's, it's a little bit more of a rumor, but it's not necessarily. Um, so, things that I've been seeing on social media lately. Um, everybody's been paying attention to John Krasinski uh, lately. He's, he's been in the news for his YouTube channel, some good news, which if you haven't been watching it, um, I'll do the shameless plug for him. Go watch it. It's fantastic stuff. It'll just make you feel good in these times. Um, he's doing really good stuff there. Um, but whether it's through everybody's affinity with John uh, as as Jim from The Office, or whether you're enjoying him from his Amazon Prime series Jack Ryan, or you know 13 Hours that blockbuster movie that he did there, uh, action film, or if you're just trying to keep up with whatever projects he's got going on right now, um, <clears throat> with Quiet Place and and whatnot directorially, uh, not necessarily starring in. Um, it's long been rumored. Everybody has long been asking for John Krasinski to join uh, the Marvel Universe in some way or another. He's openly said uh, through interviews and other things that if Marvel asks him, he'd be more than happy to take up a role. Uh, he actually originally was the guy that uh, Marvel was looking at to play Captain America before Chris Evans uh, showed him up. Uh, so he, yeah. much, he was pretty much locked in for that role before they, they tested Chris Evans. Um, so he's already somebody that Marvel has had an interest in casting. Um, but with his directorial stuff that we've seen with quiet place and quiet place Two, um, and really showing himself to be a successful director. I think the fact that he's been confirmed to be in secret talks, quote unquote, secret talks, uh, Marvel right. for some future project, everybody's long been asking for him to be Mr. Fantastic. Uh, which we already know that this upcoming phase, the tail end of it, is going to include Fantastic Four in some way, Marvel's greatest family. Um, now the question is going to be whether or not this secret project is him starring in something, or if it's going to be him directing something, or if he's going to pull a Ben Affleck for the Marvel Universe and do both, um, which wouldn't be outside his wheelhouse. He definitely did that with A Quiet Place and A Quiet Place 2. Um but I, I, yeah, I don't absolutely. know if Marvel is necessarily open or Disney is open to that kind of 
writer and star slash writer involvement um, involvement yeah uh, with their projects especially with the way that they have their creative teams and, and the way that things are lined up just because i feel like that would be too dicey of a contract for them to write up because directors come and go but actors pretty much for the most part stay the same in the marvel universe um so i don't know if something would sour directorially if they'd still want to keep him around or if he'd want to stay around for the marvel universe to play the role of the character that he's supposed to play um but i honestly think that whichever way he joins the MCU, whether it's a character, which I'm hoping is the more, the more likely uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, especially with him already have screen tested positively for, for Marvel and, and, and their properties, getting to see him join that on screen as opposed to behind the screen is more preferable to my turns. And I think is more likely based on how we've seen that history play out so far. Uh, Agreed. But even then, if we only get to see John Krasinski's name, in in the title screen and in the end credits and getting to see him put together a fantastic marvel movie uh starring other people will still be a, a great thing uh yeah, we've seen absolutely stuff. we've seen good stuff from him granted it's only a few yeah, movies absolutely. but um I, I think he's got a lot more great great stuff in him uh yet to come but that's the only thing yes. that we that we really had uh in terms of unconfirmed secret secret meetings have recently uh been confirmed that yes, he is indeed talking to Marvel about some future project. Um, but the specificities, whether it's acting or directing and for what franchise or future project remains unknown, but he is talking. So that's promising. Um, yes, very promising. Moon Knight, uh, is the only property that is still confirmed to be, uh, on, uh, on schedule. They are set to begin production in November, which, again, everybody's kind of scheduling movie releases and things tentatively for November, December, because we're all hoping that this uh, virus will have tamed itself, calmed down by then, that we can start uh, reopening and getting things rolling. But Moon Knight is still in pre-production. They are set to start actual uh, set and script production uh, in November. So that is promising, Uh, again, in terms of television shows and things like that. Um, we're closing in on the two-year window for Netflix characters. So the Defenders, uh, Iron Fist, Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, Daredevil, Punisher, uh, those guys are all set to have their rights roll back over into Marvel Disney uh, usability starting uh, in October, uh, which I believe starts with Iron Fist and Luke Cage. I think Daredevil uh, rolls over sometime in November. And then the last two will be February of next year, uh, 2021, uh, which is February 18th, and that is Punisher and Jessica Jones. So we will have full rights returned uh, for those characters to have them included in future Marvel Disney Plus series or Marvel Universe films in some way or another. Uh, But they will definitely uh, have the rights back to those characters starting in october of this year finalized by february of next year uh so that's a that's a soon and happy return uh, for these characters and there's a lot of people who are very happy with those series and the way that they played out on netflix so getting to see uh them continue their journey in some way or form in the future especially with the popularity of those characters um outside of the netflix universe uh, will definitely be something to be excited and look forward to. I don't imagine it'll be any of their stuff on Disney+. Plus. I imagine if they continue their journeys in a television format, we will see it on Hulu, because that is where Disney is kind of pushing its more uh, adult-themed, non-family-friendly uh, materials. 
Uh, so if we do get a darker, grittier version like what we saw on Netflix uh, that is more suitable for those particular characters, I think we're going to see that on Hulu or on the main screen. I don't think we're going to get to see it on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think um, I think we're definitely going to see if these if Daredevil, Punisher, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, those characters come back. We are definitely going to see them on Hulu. It, it won't be something that Disney Plus really touches um, just because they are a little more adult oriented. And, and I think if they're going to do that, they should keep them that way. Um, you know, that way, you know, you get the same kind of storyline and you really don't have to change anything. Hopefully they can keep the stories and don't have to restart. Uh, because, uh, like you said, a lot of the stories that we've already seen from those characters, uh, fans really connected to a lot, and they really enjoyed. Yeah, them. they were they were definitely more gritty, more adult, a little more uh, blood friendly and mature friendly for, for audiences and things like that. Especially Punisher, which was a virtual bloodbath every episode, um, which isn't too different from the comics. But again, I'll say it in the same way that I that I push that envelope for Deadpool. Um, probably won't see Deadpool on on Disney Plus or. No way. Or any any of the family friendly Avengers films, we'll probably still get to see them under the 20th century logo. We'll get to see them on Hulu. It'll be fun stuff. Um, but there are ways to do these more mature, darker characters that kind of require a little more of that adult mature element. There are still ways to do those in a PG thirteen. It just won't be to the excess that really does the character true true justice. But they still can be done in a PG thirteen way. Uh, it just requires a lot of off-screen deaths the way uh, disney has has kind of forced the marvel the marvel hand um because that's that that's this is the best way i can describe the difference between what we could see with a disney disney plus uh fronted uh punisher which is you won't get to see the crazy showdown with him and uh asian orange in, in the bottom of that bunker playing out hand to hand. You'll get something more akin to what we saw at the beginning of Endgame, where instead of seeing Thor literally hack through Thanos' neck, you're going to get that off-screen sound of a slice. And then the yeah. fact that we even got to see the head roll was way more than I anticipated for that film. Um, I just kind of expected the off-scene slash and thud, and then they'd cut to him and just be like, what the heck was that? But we got a little bit more than that. And again, that's probably going to be the most that we're actually going to get to see in terms of adult content in a, in a Disney product. We're not going to get to see the, the, the crazy opening sequence of Deadpool on there unedited. Uh, it's, it's definitely going to be a, be a Hulu uh, product. Agreed. Yeah, it's, it's just something that uh, I think it's not necessarily that I think Disney wants to stay away from that. Uh, but they have stated several times that Disney Plus is going to be a family-friendly streaming service. So um, you're definitely not going to be able to, to get what, what we're getting on Netflix, essentially, and, and from the Deadpool movies. On yeah, Netflix. I mean, they're even editing out some of the older, more classic Disney stuff like uh, Lilo and Stitch, the animated series, instead of her climbing, instead of Lilo crawling and hiding in a dryer because that's apparently a terrible thing to show in a cartoon form. Um, they changed the dryer in that scene to like a wastebasket or something. Um, they completely changed the animation so that it wasn't quite as dangerous for children so that they wouldn't imitate it. Um, because again, that, that is a very dangerous thing for children. There are other things like the Tom Hanks movie um, Splash. They're editing out. Uh, or rather editing over certain more adult images like when there's a, there's like a special cutscene where you literally only see the backside of of um, the female co-star uh, in that fe- in that uh, film where you literally just see a little bit of the buttocks but they 
edit over her hair to extend it way down there so you don't see anything, which again isn't much of a anything there. That's the most adult part of that whole film is a real quick just pass by the bathroom uh, film pan. But again, they've edited it out yeah. and they've already said that it will return in its original form when they eventually move it over to Hulu. Um, but to keep it on Disney Plus, they're doing a lot of edits to a lot more of the more mature films that they, that have entered their collection or that they've had a hold of. Like I imagine if you go and you watch uh, Hoosiers or whatever else films that are on there, sports films and things like that, you're going to see a lot of that generic swearing edited out or edited down um, that was generic and organic for that film. It's just not appropriate for Disney. So, right. There's a lot of that and you know, we'll, we'll see how it progresses out. But speaking of Disney Plus, uh, Mark Ruffalo did a couple of interviews this week where he did confirm uh, he is in talks to appear uh, in a couple of different episodes of, uh, or at least in some capacity of the She-Hulk series. Uh, he has pretty much confirmed that there are currently no plans at all with Marvel uh, to pursue a solo Hulk film, which we've all known for a long time because Universal is not giving up those rights. Uh, anytime soon right uh, so there was no reason to expect that um, but he is excited to continue to explore that character in some way or another and if they can work out a way to do that with the she-hulk uh, series he's definitely open open to doing that uh, even if it is just transcendentally through her character getting to explore a little bit more of his character through exposition uh, through dialogue and, and, and other little tidbits and easter eggs he's more than happy to do that um, we've continued to have no news on the Hawkeye series, um, but Hugh Jackman uh, did an interview. I just saw this this morning. Um, basically, he said, because somebody asked him, you know, with with X Men being reintroduced in the next couple of years to uh, Marvel and, and and Disney properties, with that merger, would he be open to playing Wolverine again? Because he's always been very open to if I get to fight the Hulk, I would absolutely join that. Uh, and he's kind of changed his tone on that a little bit today. He, he's not coming back yeah. to the character. Yeah. Uh, I'll just go ahead and quash that right now. Um, but he still has that affinity for the character. He definitely said had those, the, the Fox and, and Disney merger occurred probably two years ago while he was still freshly retired from the character and was still very much in physical shape. He probably would have continued it, but he's in a good place right now with his, with his stage acting and Broadway and his classic theater that he, yeah. he came from and enjoys very much. Um, but yeah, ha- had the process gone along a little smoother and had it happened earlier, about two years, we probably get to see uh, a Wolverine, Hugh Jackman uh, in the mix. Um, but just because we don't get to see him, uh, wield the claws and doing what he does best uh, in the future. It doesn't mean we won't get to see Hugh Jackman in some form or another because uh, he does still have that affinity and I think it would be a, a, a smart move to at least include him in some sort of Easter egg uh, sort of role, kind of like what we did with uh, J. Jonah Jameson uh, with the Sony uh, Spider-Man production, yes. uh, bringing him back uh, to, to kind of reprise an old role in a new way uh yeah uh, and let's be honest logan was the the perfect send out for hugh i mean yeah you couldn't you you almost don't I, I almost don't want him to be brought back because it would it would not be nearly as special you know it kind of diminishes logan a little bit 
Um, but th- that was the absolute perfect way to send him off. It's sad that he's not returning, um, but I don't think anybody re- anybody who who has some sense wasn't really expecting it. Truthfully, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but it, but it is nice to know that he probably would have held on a little bit longer had things progressed a little further. Which that's a little bit of a double edged sword. You're like, oh man, that's so great, and at the same time, you're like, man, that just gives me false hope. <laughs> <laughs> But that's that's pretty much yeah. all I have on no, the, on the absolutely. front. It, it's just all all good news. Everything's still moving moving along in a in a good good progress. Um, just waiting to see, waiting yeah. to see what what kind of secrets unfold. There are some more rumors in the mill, but I don't really want to touch on them yet because there are yeah. Um, so something we are going to talk about real quick. Uh, San Diego Comic Con was obviously canceled. Um, I didn't expect any huge announcements from Marvel there or Star Wars, really, or, or any other properties, um, uh, mainly because Marvel got a huge panel last year. Uh, the, generally, you don't do back-to-back huge panels like that. Um, so I, I don't think it's going to be a detriment to the news front. Obviously, um, it, it'll be more so just a detriment of, of getting together with those people and, and enjoying the company of one another. Um, uh, hopefully we get out of this soon and things don't get canceled. The next big, um, gathering on the docket would be Star Wars Celebration. I do believe that happens in August. Um, hopefully we are, fingers crossed, we are through this before then. That way they can do this. Um, I do believe D23 is also in August. That's generally when they do that, if I'm not mistaken. Um, that is... Yeah, that's something they can do more virtually, though. It's not necessarily a convention. Um, I, actually, I, I'm not sure. Uh, you know what? Fans are allowed to attend. Um, it's just not as big as some of the other things. So uh, hopefully they, they can still they can still do that. Uh, I have to imagine any announcements planned for both of those are still going to be still going to be handled virtually if something does have to happen. But, um, you know, it is unfortunate that we have to see San Diego Comic-Con canceled. Um, LZ, you got anything else uh, on the docket for tonight? I think that's that's pretty much it. RIP Comic Con 2020. Yeah, well, I mean, RIP everything 2020, really, if we think about it. Um, but all right, that was a good show. I'm glad. I'm glad we could have this discussion. I'm glad we got a little bit of PS5 news to discuss. Um, hopefully, in the next coming months or so, uh, we get some more. Um, it, it's crazy to me because we. Um, we're about a week or over, we're about two weeks away from May. Uh, and then the next month after May is, is June. And obviously that's pretty obvious for everybody, but, um, you know, that is, that's E3 time. So we are, we do know that we're going to get some, excuse me, some announcements during that time. Uh, so we will really pick up the news on that point. We'll probably focus exclusively on some gaming stuff for a while, unless some some big Marvel news comes out or some big uh, entertainment or Star Wars news comes out. Uh, it just really depends on what's going on. Um, but I'm sure that we are, you know, over the next couple weeks, uh, news will start to ramp up when it comes to gaming, uh, and we'll be able to really deliver some some cool stuff to you guys, hopefully. So, uh, with that being said, we had a great show. You know, I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that we can continue to do this. Um, and, and I'd just like to, to thank the people that do listen in. You know, I mean, obviously, uh, only if we if we only have one person listening, um, you know, even if that one person's staying here to the very end, um, even if that's something that's going on, uh, you know, we appreciate that. Thank you for listening. Uh, and we hope that we can get, 
you know, even more people to, to kind of join us on this journey as, as we continue. Yep. And over the past couple of weeks, we've uploaded a lot of our old episodes to Facebook. You can still find us between the joysticks on our Facebook page. You can find us at between the joysticks podcast on Twitter. Um, give us a like, a follow, a share. Uh, if you're out there listening, we don't, we don't have any, uh, any advertisements. We don't have any, produ- any kind of, uh, uh, Anything that we're beholden to, anything that we push, whether it's products, materials, services, anything like that, it's just us sitting here talking about the things we like. But we will promote ourselves, so go out there and give us a like, give us a share. When you see us post new stuff on Facebook or Twitter, uh, we have that Spotify account. We have the Anchor podcast here, if you can follow us there as well. Um, Just give us a like and a share. Boost us wherever you can. Continue to clear out that backlog of games that everybody knows you have. Uh, there's that one or two games that you keep saying you're going to get around to. Now's the perfect time to get to it. Um, keep reading the nifty comic books and things that you like to read. Get some new ideas. Uh, continue to support your local businesses. And until next time, guys, keep between the joysticks. We'll be seeing you.